Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PTVC podcast. Today we have not one, but two very special guests and our first episode with a dynamic team of physiotherapists and surgeon. Uh, we have June Na and Dr. Jazz Chahal. Both of our guests are very talented individuals clinically and bring a very strong business sense to the table today. I'm really excited to have them here. Dr. Jazz Chahal is an orthopedic surgeon and he works at Women's College and Toronto Western Hospital and he has an interest in hip and knee arthroscopy, cartilage restoration and ligament reconstruction. And he has some great experience, like working as a fellow physician for the Chicago Bulls, uh, Chicago White Sox, and Toronto FC. He's also completed a MBA from UFD and also University of St. Gallen. So quick fun fact, uh, Dr. Chahal is actually my surgeon and he operated on my knee pretty recently. I uh, can't really say this about everyone, but I guess uh, you can say he's one of the few people that really knows who I am as a person on the outside and on the inside. Um, <laughs> our second guest today is uh, Juna, an accomplished physiotherapist and the co-founder of uh, Cornerstone Physiotherapy in Toronto. June has received his certificate in vestibular rehab through the renowned Emory School of Medicine in Atlanta. And he specializes in vestibular rehab and provides excellent care to patients who suffer from dizziness and post-concussion syndrome. All right. Thanks so much for coming out, guys. We're really excited to have this episode. Um, how are you guys doing today? Oh, it's feeling great. Thanks for having us. No yeah. worries. Feeling good. Thanks, guys. No worries. Um, so before we kind of dive into uh, uh, therapy, uh, we want to talk about a little bit about the surgeon-physiotherapist partnership. So it, we know that it creates a lot of value and uh, you have two differing perspectives. Can you tell us a little bit about how this type of partnership started from both your perspectives? Sure. Um, I, I would start off by saying that as an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine, I work very closely with physiotherapists all the time. And uh, I think physiotherapists are an integral part of what I do. They're so important to the patients I operate on. And truly, it's a partnership. I think if patients have a good operation and bad physiotherapy, the outcome is not good. If they have a bad surgery and excellent physiotherapy, the outcome is not good. You really need a synergistic relationship between, between the two. So I've always really collaborated well with allied health workers and physiotherapists are among the most important for me. Uh, in regards to this business relationship, um, maybe June, you can talk about that. Yeah, so um, Cornerstone's co-founder, Adam Brown, uh, who is my business partner, um, had uh, already a, a somewhat of a relationship with Jazz or Dr. Shuttle. And um, I think uh, they had initially... Actually, sounds more like a question for you because I, I mean, I, I would, I've been told this information secondhand. Right, right. I know you guys have, have met prior to and, and started developing a little bit of a relationship. With respect to the partnership in this business, um, yeah, it, it does have a history. And you know, Adam and I, Adam Brown is the CEO of Therapy. We, we met years ago when I first started as a surgeon in Toronto. And uh, we met at academic rounds. We had a working relationship through many of our patients. So, you know, it was a bit, naturally formed relationship, a lot of common experiences through patient interaction and ultimately when we came up with the concept of therapy we already had a working history and we had this novel innovative idea that we wanted to bring to market and because we knew we knew each other well we had an idea we could work with well with each other and we had good support around ourselves with respect to business uh, via the MBA uh, physical therapy expertise through Cornerstone in June we kind of made it happen Sure. Awesome. 
Yeah, therapy sounds definitely like a very unique concept, and it uh, combines ideas of physiotherapy as well as technology. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how therapy has started and um, about the company in general? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about this again. Uh, you know, the origins took place around the MBA, and I think we're going to talk about the value of an MBA at some point. Yeah. Right? And I think one of the values of an MBA is a network you can develop out of it. And in the MBA, like Adam and I, we knew each other as clinicians, but throughout the experiences we had around the world, a global MBA, we were able to just learn about different industries, different verticals, different themes and innovation, and to see how industries are changing, looking at trends like decentralization, um, patient empowerment, and just a movement away from central institutions. We thought, is there a way we deliver, we can change the way we deliver healthcare, for example, physiotherapy, now using technology, empowering patients, empowering physiotherapists, so it's a win-win for all stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And it all started when we put together the right team. And I think when it comes to a startup or a new idea, you need the right team to execute um, the vision that you have. And our team came together through a couple of people in the MBA with some financial expertise, with tech expertise, which is really important in our business, and then industry knowledge, which is through myself, um, June, and Adam. So I think the MBA kind of helped us put the team together, kind of unify different concepts and bring this idea forward. So what are some things you guys are doing at uh, Therapia right now? Like what kind of, what's the services that you guys are providing? Can you tell us a little bit about that for the viewers? So um, obviously we're home physiotherapy uh, as the crux of the business. And um, so we like to think we provide value for both patients and physiotherapists. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas people see products in rehab often as patient driven, but we um, understand how Physiotherapists work, Adam and I particularly, being physiotherapists ourselves, and you know, we, with our other company, we work day-to-day right at grassroots level with our physio. So we have a good sense, I think, of what physiotherapists value, and we try to provide a platform that, obviously for patients, you know, provides convenience, affordable care, flexibility, patient-centered type of care. But for the physiotherapists, we wanted to ensure that they you know, had the flexibility they were looking for. Often, uh, jobs in physiotherapy are fairly rigid, and um, there's not a lot of opportunity to feel like you, you know, own what you do. And therapy gives physiotherapists a chance to um, really own what they do and um, practice in the way they want to practice. They're, they can set their schedules the way they want. They can see the type of patients they want, uh, and um, they work close to home, so it's convenient and um, uh, an excellent way to make money as well. Uh, you know, we, we all want to make a little bit of money, so you know, we don't want to gloss over that point as well. But uh, yeah, so we think there's value both to the therapist and uh, patient sides in, in, in what therapy brings. Interesting. Um, so I think we've, in our previous talks, we, you guys have mentioned um, therapy is like the Uber of physiotherapy. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Jazz like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one contrast is that, you know, when you're using Uber and you want a taxi or a limo, you often want it right away. Uh, with physiotherapy, clearly, like you, most people do not have physiotherapists on demand to arrive within minutes. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one distinction. And, and the way the industry operates and the physiotherapy experience is, um, you know, uh, I guess experience is very different than the taxi industry. That being said, there are some similarities. 
it's a, it's a model where you have a marketplace. You have physiotherapists who supply their skills, and you have patients who need expert care. And what Therapia does is bring the two together, buyers and sellers on a marketplace. And it connects them based on geography, so location, availability, so time and date, based on expertise. Certain patients need certain kinds of physiotherapists. So whether it's neurological care, post-operative orthopedic care, or whether it's cardiorespiratory physiotherapy, we match patients to physiotherapists based on those factors. So once again, based on condition or expertise, based on location, based on availability. And for patients, it's about empowerment. It's about autonomy. It's about also about convenience, getting care where they want it and when they want it in, in, in a manner that works for them, in a manner where it's easy, where insurance is taken care of, where they don't have to think about traveling or going to a clinic or wasting time in a waiting room. And for physiotherapists, it's about empowerment, letting them work the hours they want to work. Uh, maybe it's in addition to an existing job, uh, making more money for per unit of time that they put into the service they provide. And, you know, by putting the mar- marketplace together, bringing together physiotherapists and patients, we're trying to create a better experience by the way we deliver healthcare through technology. And uh, this is definitely a scalable business model. So we just wanted to know kind of what your end goal is with this business and uh, how are you able to expand? So currently we're in, we started off in Toronto in 2015 and we've you know, grown. Oh, is it 16? Yes. Well, we've been at it since 2015. And we've been able to, you know, grow the business uh, quite effectively around the greater Toronto area. Um, we have expanded into Ottawa and um, out to Niagara region. So um, that expansion has a bit, been a bit more organic. And, um, you know, I think it's a natural extension to start in Toronto and then kind of work out that way. Ottawa was a bit of a pilot project for us that we started last year. And um, we found it, you know, to be quite successful and being able to do something similar there, taking some of the lessons we learned from you know, starting off in Toronto and, and applying those out in Ottawa. And, you know, we're, we're growing there as well. Uh, we have, um, you know, current plans to open in Vancouver in the very near future. We're actually nice. working on that right now. And we've, uh, Jazz and Adam have come back from a, um, a recruiting drive out there recently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah. um, and in terms of, you know, goals beyond, we, would ideally like to be, you know, known as the company that provides physiotherapy care in the homes mm-hmm. in every major center across Canada, and we do have plans to extend beyond our borders as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, you mentioned that you're in a couple of major cities. Uh, do you foresee this service going out to the rural locations as well, the smaller cities or towns nearby? That's a great question. And- the answer is, uh, the truthful answer is, we don't know yet. Uh, and it, it depends on a few things. It depends on the demographics of patients in those communities. Is there an appetite for home physiotherapy? What is the competition like in a rural versus a urban landscape? And perhaps most importantly, what is the supply of physiotherapists in rural areas? If you have very few physiotherapists in a small town, and they're all working full-time in very, very busy clinics, and perhaps our model would not be as effective in those locations. Whereas if there was a surplus of physiotherapists or there was excess capacity in the time that they had, 
then it would work very well. So we need to do more market research on what a rural center looks like and how it's different than urban centers. All our experience so far has been urban. And until we establish like a national presence in urban centers, I think we will continue that strategy for now. I know intuitively it feels to me that um, what we would what we do would make sense in a rural setting as it's often difficult for patients to get care because of you know the fact that there's a, um, nothing around them that uh, may give them the same experience that people in larger cities do with a choice of clinics or high level care. So, um, you know, it, to me, it feels right that there's an opportunity here for people who don't have access to care very readily would be able to access care simply by the fact that there are physiotherapists who may live nearby and then be able to provide that care for them. So I think there's an opportunity that we need to yes. dis definitely discover whether yes. that works the way therapy works. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. we've, we've been approached by a couple of physiotherapists around Barrie mm -hmm. that want to service Barrie and like a lot of the cottage country around Barrie. Right. And it, they are very keen to travel large distances. And, and there was a true passion about providing care in these underserved smaller communities. Mm -hmm. And I think supply really is an issue. But if you have local champions that, you know, and they're passionate about it, we want to empower that. So I, I think, well, like you said, June, I think we have to just discover it further and do more research. Mm -hmm. But it's an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned uh, doing market research, and um, it's come up a couple times in some with other guests doing a market analysis and market research. Um, how do you guys go about doing this market research and market analysis to understand where your next area is, and um, what are some tips you have for individuals who are looking to do something like that, who want to expand either their own clinic or their own uh, online e-commerce business, for example? Um, that's a very interesting question. We, that, interesting because it's something we do struggle with, um, you know, as, as people who, um, I, for myself personally, that run two companies that have seen expansion, right? And um, it's it's not a, an easy decision to make. It, it's there's a lot of risk associated with it, and yeah, you know, there's um, you know many many factors to consider. So um, you know, it's hard to maybe. I think boil that down to three takeaways right here on the spot, but um, we will certainly look at things like you know that typical things like demographics and um, you know how the population is composed, um, the growth rate changes, the number of physiotherapists in an area uh, versus uh, the number of potential referrers in an area. So we look at you know hospitals and medical practices, uh, physicians' offices, orthopedic surgeons, um, you know common referral sources in the area. Um, yeah, the operational complexity of the environment. So, for example, mm -hmm. expanding the United States versus operating in Canada, it's very different. Like right. the insurance landscape and yeah. the billing landscape, mm -hmm. the regulations are different. And even if you go to different provinces, college guidelines are different mm -hmm. on what marketing behaviors are appropriate and what marketing behaviors are not. And right. pricing is different in certain provinces. Yeah, so, I sure. think like, there's various factors that you So, it's very complex. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you just have to. You probably start with like market research reports, industry reports. You maybe use the internet. You go to professional association websites, and then do your best to gather the data that you have. We also, you know, uh, like to either travel to or, or you know, physically check an area out See because, hand, right? yeah, and and you know, there's a certain sense you get from as vague as that sounds. I, I think it helps to actually have a physical presence in an area to get a sense of what that area is all about. And, 
rather than just rely on a Google map, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I also had another question regarding doing this market analysis, market research. Um, so the demographics are changing a little bit. We had the baby boom population growing and um, they're getting older. And how has that influenced the way you've been delivering care and kind of expanding to different areas? Well, the um, baby boomer growth and, and where they are in terms of uh, uh, how that cohort lies mm -hmm. within the rest of the population um, certainly was a big factor in um, starting therapy, I would say. Okay. We saw that variable as uh, a very positive uh, reason why something like therapy would work, where you know, we have this group of uh, patients who are generally in a phase of their life requiring a bit more rehab and uh, they generally have the means to pay for services that, you know, um, like physiotherapy that we might provide. So we saw that as one reason why we thought, um, you know, therapy would work. Um, we've also, I think we've also adjusted how we um, operationally function as a company. So initially when we launched, we had these preconceived ideas that the tech side and, and the, the booking app mm -hmm. and you're going through a digital platform and picking a therapist and coming out on the other end with uh, you know, a certain match, a certain appointment that's emailed to you would, would be the way that everybody wants it. And you learn that some people, such as the older demographic, the boomers, they just prefer a phone call. Right? And, and we've learned to provide intensive offline support for those kinds of customers. So we've adapted to their needs and I think we provide better care for them because there's an offline component to customer, customer service. and. Also, we've enabled physiotherapists to book appointments on behalf of patients uh, using the app. And so when a patient is seeing a baby boomer in their home, you know, they can just have a simple conversation as to when the next appointment is, and the physiotherapist can book on their behalf. The patient never has to think about it, never has to interact with the computer. It's a seamless experience. So that's a big lesson I think we learned uh, yeah. with therapy. You know, that was a big, big lesson in that, you know, we, as much as we try to not let our own biases <laughs> enter uh, you know, product development. Um, you know, I think we learned some lessons there and um, found out that the way we thought people would want care um, delivered, organized, booked is not what the reality was showing us. So I, I think, you know, there are things that we do a little differently in terms of trying to test the market on a you know, more organic level without spending too much time or resources into certain channels or development without really testing them, you know, well and, and on a low level first, so. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, you've spoken to the consumer end of things for the patients in terms of uh, the model that therapy provides. Um, I just wanted to ask about uh, what are the characteristics or considerations for physiotherapists to be successful and to thrive with therapy? The therapy of physiotherapists that do well with our platform tend to have a few common characteristics. Um, uh, first being that they are generally um, driven and um, people who you know, aren't afraid of technology and change and, and using, um, you know, I think newer types of um, ways to access um, care. So uh, they have to be you know, people willing to adapt to change. Uh, number two, they um, generally have to have some flexibility in their schedule. So we do have physiotherapists who um, are 
on the platform for very short periods of time, um, you know, a couple of days a week. Uh, however, the patients who have opened up their, or the physiotherapists who have opened up their schedule, um, tend to get busy very quickly as opposed to those who don't. So there, there has to be some flexibility in um, time in order for physiotherapists to do well with us. Um, and what am I here? So our physios tend to. And I think you covered a lot of things. Availability, hard, hard. I mean, they work hard. And yeah, they do. I mean, they work hard at often many jobs. Like they often have a full time clinic job, and and as June said, there is an appetite for you know working in a self sufficient and sustainable environment, and they tend to put in the hours. They're they're often going between clinics and then working these home. Home visits in a manner that I think is very rewarding for them personally and even financially. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, in terms of the physiotherapists who might be listening to this podcast, uh, in order to work for therapy, what kind of equipment uh, do the physiotherapists need, or uh, how would they get started with you? So, um, every physiotherapist that works with us is free to, you know. Um, deliver physiotherapy in the way they feel best. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily dictate how our physiotherapists should be applying treatment. Um, however, we do encourage that people use best practice, that they use evidence-based care. Um, I have this conversation often with a lot of our newer physiotherapists, and um, what we find the majority tend to do is um, have a portable treatment table. It's very common for our physiotherapists to um, bring a lightweight treatment table that they can use during their sessions. They usually bring things like bands and um, you know, weights or, or small pieces of portable exercise equipment. Um, you know, I, 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 as a practicing physiotherapist myself, and I've delivered home care in the past, I find that things that really matter in order to deliver effective care, one is um, patient education, uh, two is skilled hands-on manual therapy, and three is expertly prescribed exercise. If you have those three items um, as part of your toolbox, then you really don't need much more than that. Has been my experience, um, and you can do, deliver very effective care just with those. And you know that doesn't require a lot of equipment to deliver those three things. And one of the big misconceptions on the patient side is, you know, what about all the equipment? And there's an education piece on the patient side as well. Well, you know, with the right exercises and the right manual hands-on therapy and and essentially you know the advice in your own environment you can get the benefits you need for your specific condition and you know i think certain clinics in in my opinion i might be biased they do use some of the equipment and and larger devices as part of the marketing strategy and i think often patients are over treated with modalities or over treated with you know in big more, more like physical performance, human performance, mm-hmm. gym type of settings, as opposed to a true clinical setting with hands-on therapy. Interesting. Um, so I think that's a good segue. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. <laughs> um, how have you guys been able to uh, market this? Because it's, it's, it's a little bit different than a typical clinic, right? So I'm sure you've had experience marketing uh, with your clinic, and you've had marketing uh, experience with other businesses. So how have you guys kind of tried to market this kind of platform? I'll let you answer that. I mean, he, he's, he's actually really good at it. And uh, 
does a lot of our marketing for us. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because of my involvement with uh, building Cornerstone, um, uh, you know, I've been able to parlay some of that experience into what we've been doing with therapy. And um, what I have found was some of the traditional channels that we use with the clinic do have some effectiveness with um, what we're doing with uh, therapy. You know, we um, have been engaging uh, people in the medical profession who commonly refer for physiotherapy uh, the way we might with clinic. We've been engaging these people with um, you know, a therapy in mind as well. So reached out to our network. Uh, starting off in Toronto, obviously there was um, a nice network of people that we could um, engage right at the start and that certainly helped snowball that initial uh, effort into creating awareness and, and getting people to start using the site. Um, and we certainly use that online component that a lot of clinics use as well, where we work um, extensively on our site and on search engine optimization. We also do search engine marketing um, through ads online to uh, using Facebook for advertising as well, uh, Instagram, and, um, you know, uh, getting listed on directories. So the kind of things that a lot of people do online as well. Um, we have connected with um, people that we see potentials for partnerships, so other organizations that um, provide parallel healthcare services that we um, can maybe provide some sort of cost referral relationship with hospitals. Uh, what do you think, Jess? I know we've used lots of different channels. Yeah, I, I think I would break it down simply between offline approaches and online approaches. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of our marketing strategy has been online through June and his expertise in that area, mm-hmm. whether it's paid advertising or SEO or you know, email marketing or social media marketing. There's various components to it. The offline is simply relationships with people who are across the various healthcare verticals, whether they're social workers or discharge planners or family doctors or orthopedic surgeons or other physiotherapists. There's many channels. And, but essentially, the simplest way is it's a hybrid offline, online, these strategies that are, that are scalable and that are cost effective. So, you know, ultimately, it comes down to in a marketplace like ours, can you acquire patients at a reasonable cost um, relative to? You know how much money that the patients will bring into the system. And in terms of pure mathematical approach, you simply look at how much you spend versus how much you acquire for patient acquisition. Now, um, what we do is we are very data driven in terms of how we approach our marketing. We keep careful track of um, spend and conversions. So. Uh, in my experience with traditional physiotherapy, it's a, a very, um, uh, what's the next way to put it? <laughs> it's not done very well uh, in terms of how people spend marketing money. Right. Uh, there are, it's a lot of money spent, but we often don't know what the true return is on how that money is being spent. So mm-hmm. you, know, you can put a billboard up or you can put on, online ads up, but can you actually measure what the cost of each of those patients is? And mm-hmm. so we've set up, I think tools and, and uh, methods of trying to track this accurately uh, mm-hmm. in order for us to determine whether something's truly working or not. And I think that's definitely a, a valuable um, type of approach for anyone who's trying to spend money, essentially. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's uh, definitely fantastic to hear that you're approaching it from a systems point of view because 
solution there for believers in that yeah. <laughs> systems have to be established everywhere and then you just tweak it a little bit and then yeah. uh, keep oh, going. Yeah. But I understand that uh, therapy operates essentially around an app, right? As an app. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you've gone about developing it and what processes went into it? Yeah, I mean, initially, well, once again, I, said, I, think, I think an idea comes down to the team, give the right team to execute your vision. And what our, one of our team members or founders was at Ambles Block. He's our chief technological officer. So the app and the way it's been built and the way we've executed, the credit goes to him. We've all provided insights and uh, various degrees of uh, feedback over time. We've helped test it. We've helped uh, contribute to the design of it. But ultimately, designing an app comes down to how does it look and feel, which is UI and UX. Right? Um, and then it comes down to how does it function on the back end. So you need various types of uh, software engineers that work on that along with designers. And Ambles has been really good at bringing together the right people. And, you know, through the various feedback we get, iteratively develop the apps. And you have to pivot. Like, once you actually put out the app and users test it and you get feedback, you need to adapt. You need to make changes on the homepage, perhaps in the back end to change the critical operational aspect of how your practice or how your business runs. So once you develop the app, it doesn't stop developing. It, right. it's, a, it's a refinement over time. Right. And don't even be afraid to make radical changes to your app if you really need to. Yeah, and we've, um, again, coming back to your systems, uh, <laughs> a comment, uh, you know, when we throw a bunch of time and, and, and money on an app, you've got to have a, a systematic way to determine if it's truly working for you or not. So, you know, we've done that through... Um, Product testing, patient yeah. uh, potential patient surveys or, or customer surveys, where you know, we're uh, tracking how they you know, work through a page and their comments as they're doing that, and um, we have also run analytics, Google Analytics, through our platform so that we can see where drop-offs are happening. We, right. you know, there are other tools where you guys might be aware of where you can track you know, yeah. mouse patterns on a page yeah. and things like that. So yeah. all of that gets factored into decision making. It's not yeah. just Asking our customer service um, person on the phone, you know, uh, why do you feel that patients don't like your page, right? And, and you know, maybe it's the phone number's in the wrong spot. You know, we don't necessarily just use the, those generalities, but you know, you have to base it on something systematic that is going to help drive proper decision making and, and not you know throwing money. Objective thing that you guys are tracking. And uh, it's funny how you mentioned pivoting and uh, these things that you've tested, how your app would appear. Is there a specific persona you had in mind? Because you kind of have to create your app based on the consumer, so the patient, and then the physiotherapist, the typical physiotherapist is going to use the app on the back end. Did you have specific personas initially, and did you have to pivot from those? I, I think our personas have remained relatively constant. It's more than one persona. You have patients who want convenience, they want... A digital interface where they book care and it comes to them. That, that we thought was one persona. You have the other persona that's a caregiver who's middle-aged, either needs to book appointments for their children or their parents. And then you have the third persona who is a patient who is elderly and wants the right care at the right place at the right time and needs a solution but doesn't necessarily know how to go about and obtain that care. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, and there, we, these have been tweaked over time in various ways, but those, those major you know, high level Well, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, we've had lots of discussions over personas. And obviously, that's going to drive you know 
much of your marketing decision making is based on that persona. And um, if you go to our site, you'll see that there is, um, a, 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 I guess, a, a shift towards a certain persona right. um, that tends to be a little bit of that older person, um, someone who may have an issue that requires someone to come to them. Um, you know, we see that because of the feedback we get from the patients who are currently booking with us. Um, however, we do see this tremendous opportunity to um, market to this other persona Jazz was mentioning about uh, the, the person who wants convenience and wants, they, they might be perfectly fine to go to a clinic. They don't need someone to come to them to their home. But if they feel that the care is expert, that the um, price is reasonable and they appreciate convenience, which I think these days more and more people are um, starting to value, then you know I think that persona can provide a tremendous opportunity because if you think of all the people that go to clinics versus right. receive care in their home, right. there is you know a considerable difference there, and uh, I think we should look into tapping that as we continue to grow the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're continuously evolving too. As the market is yeah. changing, right? Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about the MBA. Obviously, it's been a question we've had whether we should do one, whether we shouldn't. There's people who have done it that we know who are uh, successful, and there's people who haven't done it who are also successful. So uh, we kind of want to hear from both your perspectives on the value of an MBA and uh, whether maybe from your perspective, since you've done one and uh, you have a very successful business as well, Cornerstone. I mean, so kind of hear your thoughts on that. Sure. So from my perspective, um, I think it's hard to give a generic answer that fits everybody. And I think it's a very individualized choice. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll, I'll go, I guess I'll go through my scenario. For me, going through school, becoming an orthopedic surgeon, it's very specialized in an academic setting. It's a very linear path. You tend to have a very predictable set of things you do in terms of education, in terms of courses, in terms of degrees, to get to a certain point in your life. And if you ever want to innovate, create value beyond what you know, there's a lot of barriers to doing it. And there's knowledge barriers, there's funding barriers, there's network barriers. It's often just hard to get started. And if you if you have all the time in the world, you can learn a lot of these things on your own. And But if you're still working like I was, and you also have these other interests that you want to pursue, then... For me, I'm, I'm the kind of person, my personality, that I, I need a certain amount of competence in an area before I have the confidence to full, go out and pursue it. Personally, for me, an MBA was very valuable because it opened up networks, I met a lot of people, I gained a lot of knowledge, I chose an MBA that specialized more or less in entrepreneurship and innovation, and it, it, and it was also compatible with me working full-time. So I kept my job, I worked, and then the MBA was done in an executive program at University of Toronto and the University of St. Gallen, where every two months I would go and travel for two weeks to a new place in the world, intent, have an intense period where there were courses and deliverables, and even between modules there were deliverables, but they were very manageable. So ultimately, the type of degree I chose and how I did it worked out very well for my needs and the reasons were compatible with my, my goals and my career. Interesting. Well, for me, um, rather than an MBA, SHK, which is uh, a school of hard knocks degree, right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I kind of learned as I went, and um, yeah. you know, 
thankfully, you know, I had a partner who... <laughs> <laughs> sense uh, of business and marketing strategy. Um, you know, I was also fortunate to have uh, worked as a clinic director and Adam to have worked as an area manager for um, the largest physiotherapy employer in Canada. And um, that gave us, uh, I think, some of those uh, both internal and external decision-making skills that we learned working with a company in um, a minute role. Taking that and, and you know, Parlaying that into cornerstone physiotherapy, we were able to use some of that knowledge with uh, just kind of discovering things, I think, as we went and, and making, you know, decisions we regretted and others that we celebrated. And over time, we're, we were able to, I think, build what we've developed today. Now, if we had, say, done an MBA at that point in time, would have that changed our outcome? I think it might have. Um, I think, yeah, I, it probably could have, I think, driven our path a little bit differently and, and we may have achieved some either either more success or, or different type of success. But, right. um, you know, at the time, it, it, these decisions were, I think, made based on you know, the resources we had and, and we were very busy with young families and, and right. um, starting you know, a, a new business. So, um, you know, I think though we may have discussed it at the time, it just, like Jazz said, it wasn't right for me at the time. And where I am today, I, I hanging around with four guys with MBAs for the past three years, I kind of feel like I have a mini MBA. You know, MBA by association. <laughs> yeah, because we, you know, use yeah. very much a lot of the strategy and, and um, you know, business sense they've developed in those programs that, that, as they bring that daily into what we do at Therapy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like some of that is positively rubbed off yeah. on me and I'm grateful for it. And vice versa. I mean, you know, I feel like I'm a mini school of hard knocks degree. Honorary SHK. Through and Adam's like, experience over like, over a decade, I think you've gained a lot of insights on things that work and don't work. And often we'll have an idea and say, hey, what about this? What about going and talking to this type of clinician and proposing therapy in, in, in this particular manner? And there may also be a lot of enthusiasm Jim will be like, yeah, I won't work. <laughs> and when we'll try it, yeah, Jim, you're right. Or, or sometimes, and I think in contrast, sometimes, you know, you, you realize that preconceived notions or biases you have, maybe you're correct or incorrect. Uh, and I think you kind of learn to be open-minded, I think, through either uh, approach mm-hmm. and um, more data-driven. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And I think yeah. that's one thing. You combine the two degrees, you become data driven in response to real world data. Mm-hmm. And you have to only really apply it to the decision making. Very true. Sure. Very true. And uh, listening to both of you talk, it seems like you've uh, accomplished a lot of great things and you've gone very systematically about going about it. Um, I just wanted to ask about some main habits that you employ throughout your life that make you uh, as successful as you are and that hold the key to your success. You know, I th- that's a good question. And I think it's probably been relatively consistent for me throughout my entire life. I think, and by the way, everyone's different, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to have their own approach. One that works for me, and probably for many people, is I think you need a very strong social fabric. It's a social 
support structure around you, so whether it's family or friends or spouse or children, you need this to be solid with respect to your own social network. Because if they're not, it's hard to be productive, productive at work. So, so I think if, as long as you have a great ecosystem around you, for good times and like times where it's challenging, for me that's number one. Number two, I think you have to be goal-oriented, or I am. I tend to create major milestones that I strive for in my life, and I'll work very, very hard to achieve them. So I think through the, with the right support, with the right goals, and you know, think big, think mm-hmm. big, like outside your comfort zone, stretch beyond what, what's easy and doable, go beyond that, right. and then create, use tactics and methods and work your ass off to, right, to achieve those goals. And then that's what I do. And be a good person along the way. And I think if you're not a good person and trying to achieve those goals, it negates the entire endeavor. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I really agree with your first comment, Chaz, about the support system. And, right. you know, my wife and I made a decision uh, nine years ago that she was going to be a stay at home mom. She had a career, her own career. And uh, she, you know, with at that point, Cornerstone was in its infancy. And we made a decision that, you know, she would provide more of that support with our children and with the home life so that. I can work harder and more focused. I have more focus with the, the business. And, um, you know, without that, it, uh, because let's face it, this sort of work that we do with therapy and, and I do with Cornerstone, it's a 24 7 job. You know, you're at night sometimes answering emails, you're getting up first thing in the morning and checking your Slack messages. And, and so we have to, you know, I think in order to be successful, you need to have that uh, support system around you. Um, I, I like to have set goals for myself and then have methods of reevaluating them. So rather than you know, having a vision of what you want to do and kind of stumbling your way toward that you know, goal, uh, if you set those milestones and then you have to you know, look yourself in the face and reevaluate, did you truly get there or not? So right. you know, um, I have certain things that I uh, have written down in certain formats that allow us to do that. Um, Adam and I often have very regular conversations about where we are and what we need to do to push forward with that, the other company. And um, you know, I know we do similar sort of things with therapy in terms of setting certain you know, milestones and um, ensuring that people are you know, taking the steps to have those completed or, or um, have to be that. What else do I do that makes me awesome? I'm trying to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have any other that are actually June June <laughs> I, I will add to this podcast is extremely talented in many different areas. Like you know he's a good marketer, he's a good clinician, he, he can play the guitar, right? Guitar? Piano. Piano. Nice. He, what else, what else do you do? I have a renovate my house. He's a, <laughs> wow. a serious handyman. Wow. And he's a whiz at like SEO and like Google Ads. <laughs> and it's also yeah. done. Uh, not all self-taught, but, uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure what jazz, maybe surround yourself by people who can do lots of different stuff. Yeah. That's a, a good habit. <laughs> it just felt appropriate to say it. I mean, to be able to pick up skills in so many different areas, you've obviously had a strategy or, or you've been able to do it in a certain mm-hmm. manner. And like, even you had a band and you guys are actually quite successful. And so you, to achieve success in many different unrelated areas, mm-hmm. you clearly need some sort of underlying strategy, even though it may be subconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, that's a very good point. 
I'm just trying to explain why you're so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have a segment just for that. <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 um, so you brought up a good point with, you know, making the decision of, you said that, uh, this is a 24 seven thing and you guys have your own businesses, your own, uh, lives as well. You have a lot of time that you need to spend on these things to continue to push them to become successful. Um, how have you guys kind of got around to balancing that? Because I think that's an issue that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs will face, uh, when they get to to invest it in a good way, but then, you know, they start to lose time with family, friends. How do you kind of go about preventing that kind of thing from happening? I, I think, once again, these are very personal right. questions that people answer differently. Yeah, right. Everyone's so different, but have their own approach. Mm -hmm. and first of all, I, I think if you ask all the founders of therapy and have been involved in other jobs, we would tell you that it is much easier to start a new business if you're following full time. And you have nothing else that's distracting you. Mm -hmm. So that probably the best way to start a new company. But that being said, how do we manage our multiple hats that we wear? So mm -hmm. you know, having families, being clinicians, mm -hmm. having a startup, having another business on that that is a full time endeavor, such as Cornerstone for June. And I, I think it comes down to one: you eliminate all the noise. Things that are not important in your life, you automatically take a backseat. You quickly realize what is important and what is not important. And you learn to filter that out. So your filter goes up. And you learn to say no. And I think it's really hard to say no. It has been for me at various points in my life. But now as time goes on, I have my clear priorities. You learn to say no to what's not important in, in this context that you created. And, and then I think... Just do your best to work hard and make things work. After that, that's what I would say. Um, I would say that uh, if I were to start a new business at this point, um, I would still have it something that parallels to some degree what I do currently. So, with Cornerstone and Therapia, yeah, what has been helpful for us is that you know Therapia is in the medical field; it's in physiotherapy. And so, for me personally, it was an easier you know, way to do something different that was still something similar. So I was able to take a lot of the same you know, ideas and energy and you know, um, put it towards two different uh, businesses. Uh, right. and, and, you know, that, so that has certainly been very helpful for me. Uh, I also ensure that I carve out certain chunks of time that I solely dedicate to one versus the other and um, so, you know, for people starting off a new business, if, if you're already working to do, doing something else, then um, it's, I think, very important to ensure that all your energy gets focused on one thing at a time and then switch, even though it's easy to get pulled away by an email here from another source and makes that, you know, those sorts of things happen. And uh, it's fantastic you mentioned all these things because um, all the habits, all the systems, the solution I personally have... Uh, incorporated into our life has come from books uh, especially like surrounding yourself with yeah. uh, a proper social network where you're the product of the five people you associate with <laughs> <laughs> and um, what kind of books have made a difference for you on this business journey or in life in general I'll do this a check as a big book guy <laughs> <laughs> I'm open up my app right now <laughs> 
because I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, so I, mm-hmm. I drive a lot. Right. And I, and I, every day I drive from Mississauga to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more than once a day I drive from Mississauga to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> when it gives you a chance to kind of hang out in a car that you like to hang out in, but uh, <laughs> you won't get into cars. That's it. You learn to listen to music is not as gratifying. Um, yeah, it's true. Like all the time. Like I love music, but like at some point you're like, man, I better turn this off. So I, then I got into audiobooks, and I have a bunch on my phone. And I think it's hard to tell you like which one single one looks right. the best, but two that I really like that I think are pertinent to business and pertinent to what we're talking about today. One of them is Shoe Dog. It's a memoir by the creator of Nike, yeah. and it, it starts the book with. The founder of Nike going for a run in the early 1960s and describing the experience of what it's running like running first thing in the morning at like just after sunrise on a cold morning in Oregon and sets the stage for the rest of the book. And the entire book is told as like an experiential journey that the founder goes through. And it's not like about tactics and business and like operations and leadership, it's about a personal journey. And you learn how hard it is to grow a business, scale a business. You learn about competition. You learn about um, success. You learn, learn about hardship. And you learn about like sacrifice, what it takes to create that. So if you want a story and you don't want a technical business book, but you want a great business story, awesome. Shoot up. Another uh, one, if you want like a, a good business book that's also very inspirational, I like Zero to One. It's Notes on Startups by Peter Thiel. And he talks about how, you know, most things we do in our life, and, and the verbiage he uses is, most things we do in our life take us from one to n. We work on something that's already been created, and you try to make it better. Mm-hmm. So he's like, the true magical things that happen in our world happen when you go from zero to one. You create something new. He says the act of creation is singular. It can only happen once. What you end up getting is fresh and strange, but somehow potentially change the world. And he said and he's a big proponent of technology because he says with technology you can do more with less. Yeah. And by employing technology, you can create new value in new ways. So I think if you want a business book that's inspiring, it's sort of one. Um, so I'm less of a book guy than than Jazz. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I get a lot of um, comic books. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, you're telling me today. I, I um, get a lot of uh, insight and inspiration, actually, um, just um, online. And often I go on little tangents where, you know, we'll, I'll have a question about some something we're working on, a, a marketing tactic or some new development. And then I'll, you know, Google it and uh, I'll go to four or five different sources to try to get some, uh, I think, more of a consistent general sense of what I'm looking for. And invariably, as I'm reading these sources, there's links to other sources. And um, often I'm, uh, I think, sent on this really interesting uh, online journey, um, both gathering information and reading things that are insightful, interesting, and inspiring, and um, things that are current, right? Because um, I think it's great to have sources of information that are um, you know, adapting to changes that are currently happening in, in the way we work and, and uh, our environment, but at the same time, come from multiple sources because um, as great as one book might be, it's one viewpoint. So I think it's a nice, easy 
uh, easier and quick way to get you know, a bunch of new points is to you know, um, access some of these great online centers that you can very quickly and for free access online yeah. for the most part. We actually we had this one MBA prof, um, Grayson Bass, that you know made an interesting point about reading. Mm-hmm. We all read things in our everyday lives, but you should have one or two sources in your life that give you ideas and thoughts that are totally unrelated to what you do, and you pick what they are. So whether it's the Economist that comes to you, subscribe to it, and you get like a weekly magazine, or whether it's Wired magazine, or maybe or it's some totally liberal left wing. Like specialized kind of uh, periodical that you subscribe to. Something that's unique and different will just give you insights and allow you to think in different ways. And I think that's another aspect of what you mm-hmm. may want to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Helps open the mind up too, right? Just mm-hmm. yeah. seeing yeah, how sure. other think other people are thinking. Avoid television, right? Think right. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your immediate sphere that you're right. 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 Yeah, that's I, I kind of do that too sometimes, just to uh, I read things that are against my own uh, viewpoints, just to kind of challenge myself to open up a little bit more mm-hmm. i think it's a good idea like you guys are saying seeing all the different viewpoints seeing what they're saying and kind of understanding where other people are coming from it helps with honestly like i felt that it helps with conversation it helps with any conflict that might come up you're you're less defensive you're more open to kind of hearing what the other person has to say and then responding accordingly instead of becoming defensive and kind of guarding your own point of view which yeah point. Yeah, yeah all right well uh We've come to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for all the information, all the recommendations, and all the value and all the experience you've both brought to the table. It's been a pleasure to have you both. Um, One last question before we end off is we want to know where people can find you guys on social media, um, how they can get in touch with you. Okay, just uh, obviously go to our website, therapia.com. Okay. Um, and we have a, a Facebook page that's relatively active. If you just search for therapy and physiotherapy on Facebook, then okay. you can uh, connect with us that way. Um, we are starting to get a little bit more active on Instagram now. I think nice. very soon, so you'll be able to yeah, our, our handle is follow us there. at Therapy Health on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Therapy Health. And okay. it's, brand, it's brand new, so we're going to grow that. Okay. And stay, stay away from our Twitter. <laughs> We've been staying away from our Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter's a tough one to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you so much. And well, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.